0: Soon after Reb Shner Zalman of Liadi became a Rebbe, he had a chassid by the name of Reb Gavriel, who lived in Vitebsk. And because he had become a chassid, and it was considered as if he had left the Jewish religion and joined what they called back then the sect, he was persecuted by his family, his father, his brothers, all of his relatives, and they did everything they could to ruin his business and destroy his life. But despite all that, Reb Gavriel didn't give up on being a chassid of Reb Shner Zalman, and every now and then he would go to visit his Rebbe in the Yozna. And every time he made a visit, he didn't mention anything to the Rebbe about how his business was failing because of his family persecuting him and trying to punish him for becoming a chassid. Never mentioned anything and always gave however much money the Rebbe asked him for, whether it was supporting the local community, the scholars in the land of Israel, or ransoming captives. And every time he came to the Rebbe, he didn't mention another problem that he'd had. Reb Gavriel and his wife had been married for 25 years, and still had not merited to have any children. And worse than the suffering of losing his business, was the suffering of being in a home with no children. And so one time, he came to the Alter Rebbe on one of his regular visits, and the Rebbe said to him, Reb Gavriel... I need a certain amount of money, quoted the sum in order to ransom back some Jews who couldn't pay off their debts. And Reb Gavril, he simply nodded his head, thanked the Rebbe for allowing him to be a Shaliach a messenger for the Rebbe, and went back home to his wife. And she saw him come back from the Rebbe, and she said, my husband, you always come back so happy from the Rebbe. How come now you're so sad? What happened? And he told her, the Rebbe doesn't know that we've lost everything. We don't have any more money. The Rebbe doesn't know that for 25 years we didn't have children. The Rebbe doesn't know how much I'm suffering. And he asked me to bring a huge amount of money that we simply don't have. And I can't take it anymore. I really don't know what to do. My dear husband, aren't you a chassid of the Rebbe? Haven't you told me so many times that our Rebbe teaches us that we always have to have faith in Hashem and trust in Him and be constantly happy no matter whether we have money or not? So why are you unhappy? Hashem brought us to this point, and Hashem expects us to be happy, and the Rebbe expects us to contribute that amount of money. And while her husband sat there learning, trying to figure out how to be happy when things were not going so well, his wife went out secretly and sold all of the jewelry and valuables that she had in order to raise the money. And she came back to her husband, who was still sitting there learning, And she said, my dear husband, look, you have no reason to be sad. We have the entire amount of money that the Rebbe asked for right here. And she drops it on the table. And he looks at it and he says, where is this from? She said, I sold everything we had, you know, all the jewelry that you'd give me over the years. I took the silver buttons off my dresses. I took the candlesticks. All the silver, gold, everything we had in the house. I sold it all. I mean, what do we need it for anyhow? Here we get the merit of giving tzedakah, of helping our fellow Jews. That means much more to me than wearing some beautiful jewelry. I get to wear the mitzvah. It's much more beautiful than anything I sold. She told her husband, you know what? I think you should go right now to the Rebbe and bring him the money. But Rev. Gavriel, he said, you know, usually the Rebbe sends a messenger here to collect the money whenever the Rebbe is ready. And so probably we should just put the money aside and wait until the messenger comes. I mean, if the Rebbe needed the money right away, he would send the messenger right away. But very quickly, Reb Gavriel's brothers started causing him more problems in business. And he lost even more money than he had lost before. And he was worried that if he left the money in the house, he would be tempted to use it. And so he quickly took the sack of coins and set out for Leozna. And when he arrived there... He places the bundle of coins on the Rebbe's table. And he says, Rebbe, let me tell you, my business is so bad. We had to sell basically everything in the house to raise this money. I know the Rebbe always sends a messenger to pick up the money, but I'm worried if I didn't give it to you now, I would end up spending it because we don't have anything left at home. And the Rebbe tells Reb Gavriel to open up the bundle. And he opens the sack with the coins. And he was surprised to see that the coins were shining. It looked like they were brand new, that they had just been minted right there that day. And the Rebbe, he leans his head on his hands and raises his head up. And he says, You know, the contributions that were given to the mishkan, to the tabernacle, when the Jews were in the desert, included gold, silver, and copper. But the only metals that shone were the mirrors used by the women, and the wash basin and the pedestal were the last items to be made and the first to be used and the service, and the Mishkan. So tell me, Reb Gavriel, are these coins from ancient times? From the coins that were given in the desert by the Jews when they left Egypt? And Reb Gavriel, he didn't know what had happened with the coins, but he didn't know what he went through in order to get those coins. And he said, Rebbe, I've suffered for so many years for being a Chassid. My family has caused me so much suffering. And even though we'd suffered so much, my wife... She's such a tzaddiket, such a righteous woman. She remained joyful, and she happily sold all of her jewelry, candlesticks, and even the buttons off her dresses in order to give you this money. And Rebbe, you know, it's been 25 years we've been married and we don't have children yet. Aye, Rebbe, I'm suffering so much. And once again, in a state of dvekus, and deep meditation, the Rebbe leans his hand on his head and looks up at the ceiling again. He says, Ba'astina. Bate and Dina said, your difficult times are over. May Hashem grant you and your wife, sons and daughters, and a long life to see your grandchildren and even your great-grandchildren. And may Hashem bless you that you become rich again. And everywhere you look, you will make money and people will love you. And you'll be able to give tzedakah and you'll be able to help other people. And you'll be able to serve Hashem with complete joy. He said, close your business. And start dealing in gemstones. And I promise you all of this will come true. And so, Reb Gavriel, he went back home, simply dancing for joy. And when he walked in the door this time, he was very happy. And his wife said, Gavriel, tell me what happened, tell me what happened. And he said, First of all, tell me, my dear wife, why were the coins shining? And she said, I rubbed them with sand for a long time until they glistened and sparkled like the stars in the sky. And the whole time I was saying to Hashem, May our fortunes also sparkle like the stars in the sky. May we be blessed with wealth and health and children, and Torah and joy, and all the revealed blessings. And the whole time I was polishing those coins, I was davening for us. And Reb Gavriel, he said, My sweetest wife, you should know that it's thanks to you that the Rebbe heard our prayers, and we were blessed with everything. And so Reb Gavriel, he closed the store and began dealing in gemstones. And Hashem listens to the prayers of Tzaddikim, and he made Reb Gavriel prosper. And he found favor in the eyes of everyone, the local noblemen and the squires. And they were his regular customers as well. And clients came from all over Europe to buy from him. And he became exceedingly wealthy, and gave tzedakah all the time to everyone he possibly could. And a year later, his wife gave birth to their first child, a son, Mazel And within three years, they had had three children, and his business was growing. And everyone who saw him liked him so much, they gave him the nickname, Gavriel the Likable. And after 40 years, he handed over his business to his sons, spent his days learning Torah, davening, and giving tzedakah. And it was thanks to him that the Hasidic community of Vitebsk grew and became such a warm and joyous community. (Sings) Di da da la di da da. Last week, I shared with you a personal Hasidic story. If you haven't listened to it yet, go back to the last episode and listen. And just by chance this morning, I heard another story that I have to share with you. So I don't know if you know my sweetest friends. I had such a sweet and beautiful and wonderful teacher and rabbi for around 20 years. Reb Shalom Brat. And I wrote a book about him after he passed away called the Stickel Shalom. And all those years, I was friends with an elderly breast lover, Chasid, And I wanted to learn with him for many years. But it was only after Reb Shalom passed away, and really only recently in the last year, that we started learning together. And this man who's in his 80s, he's had basically every health problem you could think of. Poor man. Multiple heart surgeries. Failed kidneys. Had all of his teeth pulled out. Parkinson's. And somehow, my friend, Rebaron, he just keeps on going. And not only does he keep on going, he does it with true joy, the joy of a breast lever chasid. And we learn breast lever we learn Rabbi Nachman, Rab Nassim. And you know, when you're a so you spend a lot of time together and you end up having conversations as well. And we become good friends over the years. And unfortunately, Rabbon, he ended up in the hospital recently. He had an infection in his foot. This was going on for many months. He would come to shul, but he would limp, and I would help him back home. And at some point, he couldn't come to shul anymore. It was too hard for him to walk. So I would come to his house, and we would learn together. And then at some point, it got even worse, and he had to go to the hospital. And this was going on for a long time, and the doctors were talking about doing surgery and chas v'shalom, possibly amputating something. And he was taking very heavy medication to the point where we could just have very short conversations on the phone. And all of a sudden, this Shabbos, he shows up in shul, and he was looking pretty good. And I walked him home Moti Shabbos. He seemed completely normal. I thought maybe he'd show up to shul this morning, so I brought the safer that we learned from. And sure enough, he shows up to shul. And after davening, I say to him, Rebaron, what's going on here? How had you been sick for six months? I mean, Mom is really sick. And now you're just walking around like everything is fine? You know, I visited him in the hospital. I saw the infection. I saw the look on the doctor's faces. They were really concerned. And now he's walking around just like he was before. So I said to him, is this for real, or is this just an illusion? So he said, no, this is for real. He said, Yeshua Tashem Ke'erifayin. Hashem's salvation comes in the blink of an eye. He said, that's it. I'm healing now. So I said to him, how can it be you took all this medication, all these things that you went through? What happened? So he has this laugh. <laughs> he starts laughing. And I said, what happened? He said, well, you know what? I was laying in bed, and I'm taking this heavy medication, and it's killing me. It's wiping me out. I have no appetite. I have no energy. I haven't been in a mikvah in months. I haven't davened with a minion in months. So I said, you know what? Rabbi Nachman said, don't take pills. And he said, I'm stopping to take the pills. I can't take it anymore. So let me tell you, within a day, my appetite came back. And I know his wife is a great cook and she cooks for him. And so she made for him all of his favorite foods. And he ate dish after dish after dish. He hadn't eaten like that in months. And he got stronger and stronger. And he felt like Erev Shabbos, Friday afternoon, he's going to go to the mikvah. So he went to the mikvah here in our neighborhood in Batirand. And there's three small mikvahs there. A hot one that really only one person can squeeze into. A medium one that maybe four or five chassidim can really squeeze into. And then a small cold one that really one or two people can fit into. And he said to me, I don't really care which one I would go into. I just need one that's clean because my doctor told me, if I go into a dirty mikvah, could be the end of my foot, God forbid. So I'm just looking for clean water. He said, I'm looking at the hot mikvah. And it's so hot, no one can get into it. I see people trying to get in and everybody's jumping out. So the water is crystal clean. He said, I put my foot in. Said it wasn't so bad. Yeah, it was hot, but I got in. Slowly worked my way down. I get all the way in. I figured I'll dip in one time and then I'll get out. He said, I went down one time. He said, I think I can do another one. Did another, and another, and another. He did five times in total. And that was it. It was too hot. He couldn't stay in there anymore. He said he came out, went to the shower, and cleaned the wound. He said, you won't believe what happened. His foot was completely swollen because there was an infection in the bone. And Because of the swelling, his nail was pressing against the skin. And the doctors were afraid to remove the nail because they didn't want to cause more problems. He said, when I'm in the hot water there, somehow, Hashem removed the nail. And all the pus came out of the infection. He said, I went into the shower, and my foot went down like I'd never seen since this problem started. Now, I'm recording this story on Sunday, and that was on Friday. He told me I went, I put some polydine antibacterial, and he said, that's it. The pain started going down. The infection started going down. He said, so I went to the mikveh again on Shabbos. And I went again this morning. And he said, I've never felt better. I told him, you know, Ravon, this is a a Hasidic story. And he said, ah, don't start with the Hasidic story stuff. Give me a break. I told him, how could it be that all these months, the doctors didn't tell you to soak your foot in hot water? I mean, really, that's what you're telling me. You soaked your foot in hot water. And for some reason, even though the solution was so obvious, nobody even tried it. And here, because he longed so much to go to the mikveh, and it had been so many months since he got there, Hashem arranged it that because of a Achassid's desire to go to the mikvah, that he would get the treatment that he needed to heal his foot. That's how it is, my sweetest friends, that sometimes we have to go beyond our logic in order to reach the place that Hashem wants us to be, in order to get what Hashem wants to give us. May everyone be healthy and successful and happy. Thank you so much for listening, my sweetest friends, and thank you all for your support. I want to thank two listeners of this podcast, Eden and Alma Grunblatt, and their parents, and of course my kids, Eliana and Levi Yitzchak, and all the Jewish kids around the world that listen to the Hasidic Story Project. Thank you for listening. I have a new interview on my other podcast, Jewish People and Ideas, with the legendary professor from Harvard, Ruth Weiss. Here's a little preview of our interview. Ruth Weiss is the recently retired professor of Yiddish and Comparative Literature at Harvard University, currently a distinguished senior fellow at the Tikva Fund. Ruth is known for what she calls moral self-confidence. Ruth was top on my list of guests from the start of this podcast, and it took time and patience to get her on. She recently released a new memoir, Free as a Jew. I had a remote conversation with Ruth where we discussed the role of the Holocaust in Jewish identity, why some Jews are anti-Zionist, how to combat Palestinian propaganda, American Jews, Israeli Jews, Jews and power, the Iran deal, Yiddish writers, Chabad on campus, and much more. You have a unique definition of antisemitism. I've only only ever heard it coming from you. That antisemitism is the organized politics against the Jews, organized grievance against the Jews. You want to know what's wrong? It's the Jews. As opposed to anti-Judaism, which came before antisemitism, and now there's anti-Zionism, which you say is worse than the previous two because it denies the Jewish people a legitimate right to their homeland. So why would Jews be anti-Zionist?
1: Uh, well, I understand, but you, you see, I understand. But I think that, again, here, if you look at things politically, I could tell you that there is actually, you, can, you could almost say it scientifically, that there is a, a principle that exists always. The greater the degree of enmity against the Jews... The greater this organization of politics against the Jews, the more ferocious it is, the more widespread it is, the cleverer it is, the more Jews will begin to hold themselves or their fellow Jews responsible for that aggression against them. So I would say that there is a ratio here. You can almost plot it. You see, I don't do these statistical analyses, but I'm sure I, I bet my life on the fact. That you could find this correlation. There were no anti-Zionists in the 25 years after the creation of the state of Israel because Israel was a very popular liberal idea, and liberals were for Israel. But after 1975, with increasing energy, as the Arab war against Israel began to penetrate the United States, and as Palestinians and pro-Palestinians began to make the argument against Israel and against, and as anti-Semitism began to be anti-Zionism, the organization of politics against the Jews, now not in dispersion, but now in the land of Israel, the more this accumulated, the more Jews began to say, hey, as they said in the 19th century, if only the Jews would shave their beards, and if only they would dress like others and if only they would talk like others there would be no anti-semitism so instead of saying that they now say mm-hmm. if only israel would pull back to these borders if only israel would do this for the palestinians that if only is going to be the response of a great many jews depending on how intense the war against them becomes yeah. america mm-hmm. i mean you now have on campuses, I mean, it's escalated dramatically, and now for the first time in the United States of America, you never had this before. You have people who espouse
0: anti-Semitism who are electable to office. Opt- Anti-Semitism or anti-Zionism?
1: Well, it, anti-Zionism is now the, the the anti-Zionism is now the form that anti-Semitism takes, just as. Wilhelm Marr made this distinction between anti-Semitism and anti-Judaism in his time. So the thing has changed now. Anti-Zionism is, of course, anti-Semitism. Where are most of the Jews today? They're not in the rest of the world. They are concentrated in Israel. So to be anti-Semitic now. And Israel represents in the world exactly what the Jews represented in Europe a century ago. They represent the same forces, you see, of liberal, democratic, self-accountable civilization, of, a, of, a, of all the things that we think are positive, a can-do nation, a, a uh, startup nation. A people that does not want to impose itself on others, but always accepts the principle of coexistence that seems to be able to succeed at everything because it is so energetic and so this and that. That's what they hold against us, because it requires a great deal of self-discipline. You know, it doesn't come overnight. You know what it's like to be an Israeli.
0: Oh, yes.
1: So you understand that it's very
0: difficult. Yeah.
1: Instead of saying, we can be like that, we can do it too. People who are in a totally different place in their own cultural development look at that and they say, I hate it. I'm afraid of it. So the grievance and the blame grow and the greater it becomes, the more Jews say, who me? It couldn't be me. It must be that bad Jew over there that they're against because it's not me. Mm -hmm. So I would just say it's very sad, but it's unfortunately, it's the way it has always been.
0: To hear the rest of the conversation that I had with Ruth Weiss, please go to either my website, jewishpeopleideas.com, or search for Jewish People and Ideas, or my name, Barak Holman, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.